0: Glory, God, though that we are tempted and that we stumble and that we make bad decisions and that we do wrong, that we serve a God who out of the abundance of his great love has chosen mercy and forgiveness where you could have chosen punishment and eternal damnation. You have provided a way by the blood of your dear son and we praise you this morning for the privilege to be able to speak the name of Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you for allowing us to wake up this morning we thank you for the breath in our lungs for the beating of our hearts for the circulation of our blood for everything that is in us that gives us life and the ability to open up our mouths and say thank you we thank you for the ability to say thank you this morning father we lift up your holy name because there is no other there is none above you, there is none to your left, and there is none to your right. Because of who you are, and because of what you've done, we praise your holy name, and we need you this morning. We humble ourselves, we set aside all of our, all of our pride, all of our discord, all of our doubts, all of our wonderings, and our souls cry out and yearn for your spirit this morning. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, O God. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. Give us this day our daily provision. For yours, O God, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let all with breath praise him and say amen and amen. God is good. Amen. God is real good. Let's give him a hand clap of praise this morning. God is good. Hallelujah. If you're cold, be seated. Turn the AC down here in a second. And by down, I mean up. By up, I mean down. Whatever makes it warmer. Whatever, however that works. Uh, A couple of quick announcements and, and then we'll move forward with the service. Uh, as we've been announcing for the past couple of weeks, we are in the midst of a move, time to move forward with Edgewater Church. We have a site visit and a facility visit uh, early Monday morning. We're going to meet with the management of Cinemark Theaters. We're going to uh, nail out a price and nail out the, what part of the facilities that we need, and we'll be able to move in there by next weekend, but we won't be moving in there by next weekend because we want to get a few of our ducks in a row first. Uh, Working with our media team, we've got designs for new business cards, designs for new uh, tithing envelopes. We have a PayPal link now in our account for those of you that need another way to pay tithes. We've had requests for the uh, debit card stubs to pay tithing offerings, so those will be coming in. We've got staff t-shirts because we're going to need 15 to 20 to 30 uh, people that will be committed to show up early on Sunday mornings to help us set up and tear down. Uh, we'll have brand new facilities. Our rent's going to go up, but that's okay because our praise is going up. Our vision is going up. Edgewater Church is moving forward. God will provide. We're more than able to move into this spot, and we're looking forward to it. Um, once we get everything lined out, we'll put a vision package together. We'll put that in your hands so you can see exactly what we're excited about and what you should be excited about and why we need to raise some of the money that we need to raise. And that by raising some money, I'm not telling you that I'm uh, that I need you to fill out a pledge card and give extra money, uh, but you might want to go out there and, uh, and try again, uh, where, where maybe you have witnessed and maybe you have told people about what God is doing and they haven't shown up, go and find those people again. Bring a family member, bring a friend. We don't want people that aren't supposed to be here, but we do want to let everybody know for those that are supposed to be here, So when God provides, he provides, uh, the seed is within itself, as the word of God says. So he is calling people to this ministry, Uh, But not everybody hears his voice audibly from heaven. In fact, I don't know very many people that have ever had that testimony. So guess what his voice sounds like? Sounds like you. His hands are your hands. His feet are your feet. So get out there and tell somebody about the goodness of the Lord. Let's bring some people in. Let's move forward with this vision, move forward with this work. And on top of that, pray. Pray, 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 give, pray, 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 give, rinse and repeat. Yeah? Okay, God is good. Um, we're coming to the end of the month, so we don't have a whole lot, uh, much more going on in the month of March. There are some brochures or some calendars you can pick up. We'll have our new ones here next month. Uh, the main announcement, of course, the main thing that we're, that we're concerned about in a good way is, uh, again, getting everything lined out so we can make our move into the Cinemark Theater and see what God has next for Edgewater Church. How many of you are ready to grow? Amen? How many of you are ready to move forward? Yes, put old battles behind, praise God for the victories, we're done mourning for the losses, we're ready to move forward and be everything God's called us to be, amen? Okay, well God is good. It is tithe and offering time at Edgewater Church and uh, we love being able to give unto the Lord, praise God. The tithe and offering message is actually going to be wrapped up uh, in the sermon today so I'm not going to, uh, to preach the same thing twice. So we actually have a video to go along with the sermon that we want you to watch, and then we'll be taking up the tithe and offering. We have two of our uh, assistants that are going to be walking around um, with some uh, napkins, and um, you'll see why. Before the video, let me just say this. We are on part two of our series called Sticks and Stones, and uh, what we're going to realize today is that the devil is a bully. The devil is a punk. And we learned a long time ago that sticks and stones may break our bones, but words will never hurt us, and then we learned that that's not true. And the Bible says, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Words are not weapons for you and me, because we are supposed to speak and glorify God, but words are weapons for the enemy, for his spirit, and for those that he uses. So uh, enjoy the video, Um, you'll see what I mean by that, and then uh, we'll get on with the message this morning. Thank you. That's a tough one. So as we uh, begin today's message, let me line up why why we chose that video. Um, I know not every, obviously that's a video more geared towards uh, bullying, but it has to do with, it has to do with words and the power of words. And what I want you to do when you think about that video while uh, we're preaching this message is replace the schoolyard with just the world in general and understand that the one that's speaking the words is the devil, and it, maybe you were cool in school, maybe you weren't, uh, but the point is, once you decide to stand up and serve God, the enemy has a loud voice, and he'll bring everything against you, and he'll tell you what you're not, he'll tell you what you can't be, he'll tell you what you've done wrong, he'll make sure somebody calls you names, he'll make sure somebody uh, does something wrong, turns their back on you, runs away from you. Uh, whatever, whatever may happen, um, things are gonna happen, and the enemy wants to... Uh, Put those things on repeat like a broken CD and tell you every single day why you are always going to be stuck where you are, uh, why you'll never move forward, or why it's inevitable that you're going to move backward. So he is the bully, and uh, you are the kid in the schoolyard. And today's message, uh, Sticks and Stones Part Two, uh, hopefully will help you be delivered from some of that. Before we get started, the tithe and offering buckets are going to come around. I'm going to pray over your offering this morning. Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you so much for those that have to give this morning. Uh, Father, we pray the blessing of your word that you would, uh, as we give, that it would be a seed planted in good soil that would bring forth uh, much fruit and abundance, Lord God, and that it would provide for the vision that you've, uh, that you've called us to follow at Edgewater Church and the ministries therein, but also as your word says that as we give, um, that you will bless that and give back into our own lives, Father, we want to receive that portion of your word as well, that promise of your word. And we pray both of those promises over the offering today. Uh, let it be a good seed and let it bring forth fruit abundantly. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. Amen, amen. Everybody still alive out there this morning? All right. God is good, yeah? All the time. All the time. We're going to be in First Samuel chapter 17 this morning. 1 Samuel chapter 17, a familiar story, but I think we'll be able to bring perhaps some new things out of it. Lord Jesus Christ, we want to thank you for your word. Father, we pray for a heavy anointing upon your word this morning. Father, I pray that you would anoint um, not only myself as a vessel and a tool in your hand, but that you would anoint the ears and the hearts of the congregation this morning to be open and to fully receive everything that you have for us to receive this morning in jesus name amen 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 feel like we're not ready yet anybody ready to have church this morning you know this is not the word of thad this is the word of god so it's your word he gave it to you he gave it to me he gave it to us all my job is merely to do my best to explain it to you but it's been written according to god himself before the foundations of the world how do i know that Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ, who is the Word of God wrapped in flesh, was crucified for you and me even before the foundations of this world, which means the Word of God existed before anything else existed, if it only existed in the mind of God. Let me share with you a scripture that I I didn't plan on sharing this morning, Um, one that you'll find in in one of Paul's letters. I don't want to misquote because I didn't look it up this morning, but it says, and I believe it's in the book of Romans, that death reigned from Adam until Moses real succinct real quick scripture death reigned from Adam until Moses and once upon a time that hit me in between the eyes and made me wonder why did death reign from Adam until Moses naturally your first thought would be shouldn't death have reigned from Adam until Jesus and if not then uh, Moses albeit he was obviously had a high calling was a special guy in the kingdom of God if it's not Jesus, why didn't, uh, why didn't death reign from Adam until Abraham? Why didn't death reign from Adam until Isaac, who was the promised seed? Why didn't death reign from Adam until Noah, when, when it seems like uh, death you know, did stop raining at that point, through the flood, through the story? Why Moses? What was so unique? So Moses did one thing that nobody else before him had ever done and would continue on after him, but he was uh, the inception, if you will, of God's word. Death reigned because the enemy brought forth sin through the temptation of Adam and Eve. And the only thing to really combat that and to not just relieve that but defeat that is the word of God. And there was no word of God until Moses put pen to paper, if you will, and began to write the book of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So death reigned from the creation of the first man and woman that God ever made until somebody began to write his word that's how powerful the word of god is this morning so i'm gonna ask you one more time are you ready to have church you ready for the word of god it's the power to overcome death first samuel chapter 17 sticks and stones this is part two it's called proven verse 38 and saul armed with david his armor and he put a helmet of brass upon his head, also he armed him with a coat of mail. And David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off of him, and he took his staff in his hand, and he chose him five smooth stones out of the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in the scrip and in his sling was in his hand. He drew near to the Philistine. I want to point something out in verse 40. Five smooth stones, and he put them in a shepherd's bag. Everybody say, shepherd's bag. Verse 41. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog? that you come to me with staves. And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh unto the fowls of the air and to the beasts of the field. Sticks and stones. This is the voice of the enemy. The moment that you stand up and make a decree and make a decision to serve God, you may not hear it distinctly, you may not hear it as clearly as David did, but I guarantee you this. You're standing up in the midst of a crowd that's camped on a mountain. And you're declaring, you know what? I want to sanctify myself. I'm going to separate myself in order to serve God. And the moment you start walking that way, the enemy stands up from his mountain, and he descends, and he's ready to meet you in the valley. The valley of decision, called the valley of Elah. And he's going to begin to speak to you. Am I a dog, he says, that you come to me with staves? The enemy looks bigger and badder than you look. He feels bigger and badder than you feel. His armor seems to be heavier, weightier, and stronger than your armor. And he's been doing this for 6,000 years, so his weapons are ready, and yours are unproven. He begins to speak in verse 44. Then David... And this has to do more with his past. You can read about in the previous chapter. Said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied. And this day will the Lord deliver you into my hand, and I will smite you and take your head from you, and I will give the carcass of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly, verse 47, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle itself is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Verse 48, And it came to pass when the Philistine arose, and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted and ran toward the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took thence a stone, and he slung it. And he smote the Philistine in his forehead, and the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the earth. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he smote the Philistine and slew him, but there was no sword in the hand of David. It's an awesome story. A lot that we can learn from this story. Before we get into the actions of David and his warfare, let let me... Let me try to explain it this way. I could take from that portion of scripture and I could preach to you about the sling and I could preach to you about the stones and I could preach to you about the motion and I could preach to you about the valor and I could preach to you about how David ran out to meet the army and we could start hooping and hollering and we could get real motivated and I could tell you how God has made you an overcomer and he has And I can tell you how God has made you strong enough, and he has. And I can tell you how you're going to be victorious despite not having the sword and the shield in your hand, and you will. But what that ultimately leads to is a really fired-up congregation. It might leave and declare, I am an overcomer, and that is true, and that is good, but that doesn't always come with a sure foundation. Because you are a victorious overcomer, based on the hype of a good message, right up until the real battle starts. And then all of a sudden, you're ready to turn around and say, despite what I know about being an overcomer, despite what I know about the battle being the Lord's, right now, I feel very inadequate. And that sermon that got me to amen, doesn't seem like it's gonna get me through this. Missing something. The foundation. So let's go back and talk about the foundation first. And then I think we can see a little bit more about the overcoming nature. In order to understand fully uh, what's going on, we need to go back up 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 17. Here Jesse said unto David his son, Take for your brethren nephath of this parched corn and these ten loaves, everybody say ten, and run to thy brethren, verse 18. And carry these ten cheeses, everybody say ten, unto the captain of their thousand. And look how thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. When David, which of course he obeyed his father, when he obeyed, It specifically says that he took the 10 loaves and copied the scripture down. Ted, could you keep going with verse number 19? Let me see here. Verse number 19 says, we'll go to verse number 20. David rose up early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper, he took and went as Jesse had commanded him, he came to the trench. And the host was going forth to fight and shouted for the battle for Israel and the Philistines. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper, verse 22, and ran to the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked, behold, there came up the champion. So here uh, in verse 17 and 18, Jesse tells David to take uh, the corn, to take the loaves, and to take the cheeses to the captain of the thousand and to take the pledge of his brothers. And David takes the loaves and he takes the cheeses and he puts them in a shepherd's bag and he runs out into uh the battle and into the army he begins to hear the philistine rage he begins to take the bread out of his out of his uh satchel out of his out of his bag out of his shepherd's bag and and pass it down the line to his brothers who are who are tearing it apart passing it down to their brothers in arms and he takes the 10 cheeses and he begins to, to hand the cheeses out and everybody's getting refreshed and then he hears the voice of the philistine and he gets motivated David gets ready to do what he knows that he's been called to do. And so we've already read the part of the story where David is victorious, and I had you repeat something for a reason. Later on in the chapter, when it says that he took, in verse number 40, he took his staff in his hand and he chose five smooth stones out of the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had. This was... Let me describe to you what the shepherd's bag looks like. It's basically um, one piece of cloth that goes diagonal across your body, and then it has the bag in the back, and sometimes they wear it in the front, and it's like a, like a hammock almost, and you can just stick crazy amounts of stuff in there, and it folds back up. You kind of get the visual, and that's how they would carry stuff around, and then he has his staff in his hand, and so he displaces all of this food that his father told him to take to the army, and then when he hears, and it's time for the battle, he, he finds himself five smooth stones, and he puts them in that bag. Uh, let me tell you, allegorically, symbolically, any time that you see the number 10, uh, you can go ahead and decide in your mind that there is, a, there is a metaphor here for giving unto God. Because when God says that I want a tithe from you, I want an offering from you, he asks for how much? One-tenth. Tithe means one-tenth. And not only that, but it means one-tenth of your substance. And to, in today's world, it means one-tenth of your income which means one-tenth of your dough, if you will, which means one-tenth of your bread, if you will. So here he has ten pieces of bread. He also has ten pieces of cheese. And he goes from his father's house, and he takes the bread, and he takes the cheese, and he gives it out, not knowing that there's a battle straight ahead. What we're seeing here symbolically in the Spirit is is a concept, a foundational concept to winning the battle and being that overcomer with God. And it is the concept that if you are committed to giving your portion and giving what God has asked and ordained for you to give him, if you have brought your 10 loaves, if you have brought your 10 cheeses, what God does is he takes your giving, your substance, and he takes it out of your shepherd's bag, if you will, and he uses it to provide for many people, and the next time you reach your hand into that shepherd's bag, he has replaced your giving and your substance with the ammunition that you need in order to fight the battle that was coming because he already knew what was coming two steps ahead, five steps ahead, ten steps ahead. So yes, I could tell you how, and we're going to talk about the stones in this sling and how David was an overcomer, but what you need to understand foundationally is that in order to equip you, God has given to you statutes, promises, rules to follow, if you will. He says, give and it will be given. Right? We've gone over this a thousand times. If you want to be God to bless you in the open, the Bible says you should get alone in your prayer closet and seek God. And then he will bless you in front of everybody. When you give of alms, when you give of tithe, when you give of offering, he says, I am God and I will give back. Sometimes, here's where, here's where a lot of us are at. We get in the midst, we believe God. Man, we believe God, we believe him at church. Is it still cold in here? I've turned it up like two or three times. It's very against my nature. Will somebody turn it up? Uno mas. I can tell it's a little chilly. If I start sweating, you gotta forgive me. I might have to preach with a handkerchief. And that's when it gets really good, right? So we'll come to church and we'll believe God. Man, if we're really good at being Christians, we'll open up our Bible when we're not at church and we'll read the scripture and we'll believe God. If we're really good Christians, we'll pray when nobody else is looking, we'll feel and we'll believe God. You, you're well aware of what, what's going on in your life. You know the battles for the most part that you're fighting. Maybe it's a relationship battle. Maybe it's a financial battle. Uh, maybe it's a self worth battle. Maybe it's a next step battle. Maybe it's a directional battle. There are trials and tribulations, and you're well aware, but all of a sudden, us really good Christians who will amen and stand up and clap and raise our hands and applause and believe God for how mighty and powerful He is in the midst of our own temptation and our own situation. We, because of the goodness of our Christianity, have at least found it ourselves able to not point a finger and blame God, but we have not found ourselves able to overcome the situation that we're in. And we think there is some kind of humility that is going to lift us up out of the miry clay when we get all the way buckled down and just declare, you know what? God is good, and this is just my lot in life. This is just what I'm going through. God is good and it's not his fault, and you know what, I'm just gonna persevere through the battle, and I mean, I've been stuck here for a little while, and, and that's okay, and we think, we feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm still giving glory to God, I have this humility about me, I'm gonna get through this deal, and then next week we're still talking about how we're gonna get through this deal, and then next week we're still talking about how we're gonna get through this deal, and then we get the motivation to walk down off the top of the mountain, and then Goliath comes down off the other side, he stands in the valley and he says, I thought I told you not to come to me with staves, I thought I told you not to come at me with stones, Am I a dog? Look how big I am. I'm a giant. Look at, look at the weight of my spear. You can't even hold it in your hand. Look at my armor. What are you going to do? And we turn around and we go back up the mountain another couple weeks and God's going to do something good and then we still can't win another couple weeks. Oh God, I'm still going through it. You meet the brother at church. You see the same sister at church, the same look on their face. Man, what's going on? I'm still going through it. God is good all the time. Okay. That's okay. I'm not taking heaven away from you. You can still make it to heaven like that, but you don't have to. You don't have to. Not at all. The difference between you and David, the difference between me and David at times, is that when David heard the voice of the enemy, he did not consider how God was going to deliver him next week. He did not consider how he's just a a lowly servant and God is very good and and he's just got to go through it for a little while longer. David heard the voice of the enemy and he said, thank you for calling yourself out because you're the one I was looking for. And he takes off at a dead sprint. That's what the Bible says. He hasted and ran towards the camp of the Philistines. The enemy said, I will feed your carcass to the fowls of the air. And David said, I hope you can do it in 4.2 seconds because I'm on my way. I'm not going to turn back around and consider how God will deliver me. You're inviting me to the battle? I've been ready since before you got here. It didn't put it in the word of God, Goliath, but I've been begging my dad to get down here to the front line for weeks. Finally, he said, here, take some bread, take some cheese, and go see how your brothers are doing. But that's not why I came, for bread and cheese. I got a tenth, And I delivered it, and I passed it out like I was supposed to, and I reached back in my bag, and guess what I found? Weapons, ammo. I'm ready for the fight because I've given to God. He took my substance, and he turned it into ammunition. So sometimes when you're in the midst of this battle that you never seem to get out of, that seems like there's no end and you're never going to win, It's not that you're a lowly servant who's just waiting on the goodness of God. It's God up in heaven going, give me something to work with. I ask some simple things. You know what? The Bible says salvation is free. There, There are no conditions to God's love. He loves the preacher and the prostitute, if you will. There's no conditions to that. He loves the straight person. He loves the homosexual person. Get over it. He just does. There are no conditions. He loves the Republicans and the conservatives. I'm the Democrats, liberals, sorry, just kidding. I I actually don't fall in either camp. I just fall right in the middle on the word of God and that's it. However, he loves everybody, everybody, no conditions. His blessings, however, are very much conditional. There are conditions to the blessings of God, the specific blessings of God. It will rain on the just and the unjust, and that's not really a blessing, so to speak. That's just the way things are. Because God is a God of life and a God of second chances and third chances, but people can't have multiple chances if they're not alive to have those chances, so it rains on the just and the unjust, but the blessings of God are conditional. He says, do you want a a tenfold increase? Do you want a 50, 60-fold increase? Do you want a 100-fold increase? I'll do all that, but zero times zero is zero. A 100-fold increase of nothing is still nothing. Give me something to work with. When you're praying and you're not able to find deliverance, I need you to go back in your own mind to be honest with yourself for a second. Find the mirror, which the Word of God says, it is a mirror. So open it up and figure out, what has God asked from you that you haven't given? Are you somebody that likes to tithe every once in a while? I know we hate hearing this at church, but if you don't hear it from the pastor, who else are you going to hear it from? Are you somebody that likes to tithe every once in a while? Then you might be serving a God who delivers you every once in a while. Just throwing it out there. Do you like to throw $5 in the bucket and call it a tithe, even though it's nowhere near a tenth? Well, you might be serving a God who throws you a little bit of ammo, calls it the whole thing, even though it's not the whole thing. Well, this is what you gave me to work with. You put yourself in a position where you're going to encounter certain types of battles. And then you give to God as if you're in a position where you're encountering lesser battles. And then so God takes your lesser substance from a man or a woman who is in a lesser place for lesser battles, and he multiplies it and gives it back to you, but it's not enough because you didn't give according to the battle or the position in life in which you are. And I'm not just talking about money. I'm not just talking about tithe and offering. In fact, let's explore these words David brought 10 loaves, and he brought 10 blocks of cheese. The cheese makes sense whenever you break it down in the Hebrew. It It just filters back at its root to the choicest fat, animal fat, human fat, other types of fat. It says the choicest fat. Now, you need the fat of milk and things to curdle and make cheese, so that makes sense how that filters into that word. However, the choicest fat, when the Bible says the fat is for the Lord, when you study that out, What is translated as fat that is for the Lord, uh, that is more symbolic, is the anointing. Because the the base of the anointing is olive oil, and olive oil is a fat. It's a healthy fat. So a lot of times when you read fat or fatness in the Bible, it's actually referring to oil. If it's not referring to it, then it is an allegory of the anointing. So at the base of that root, cheese, there's an anointing. At the root of that word for bread, it makes less sense. It breaks down into grain, but then you you break the root down further, and it actually means to war. It actually means to fight. But what do those two things entail? I'm going to take a wild left turn here, and then I'm going to come back to you. Follow me for a second. We're all familiar with the scripture that says uh, in the book of Revelation, Jesus saying, I would rather that you were hot or cold, but since you are lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. And right off of the, of the surface, we think, oh man, he'd rather us be all the way in the church or all the way in the world, being halfway in and halfway out is the worst. Spew. Yeah, okay, to a degree, but why would he ever want us to be all the way in the world? Now, that portion of the teaching doesn't sound very legitimate. So when you study that out a little further, what you figure out is, the entire book of Revelation is centered around a morning and an evening sacrifice. The 42 months and the 42 months, the three and a half years and the three and a half years is a morning service and an evening service. But you wouldn't understand that until you study out the priesthood and the temple systems and the, the way that they ministered and the articles of ministry and the order of things of that nature. And we could go really deep into that, but you just have to trust me or get on the podcast and find other teachings. Point being, uh, when, you, when you study that out, and Jesus, who's the high priest, the Bible says, says, I'd rather that you were hot or cold. What that means is they had different um, 24 courses of priesthood that would man the temple 365 days a year. Each order of priesthood had a different job and a different ministry that it would minister to for about two, three weeks in a row. And inside of that order of of the priesthood, there were some who were supposed to man the, the walls on the outside, and there were some who were supposed to man the temple on the inside. And on the outside, on the walls, it got really, really cold at night. And on the inside, they were sitting around the fire and they were toasting uh, marshmallows or whatever they were eating. And they were eating and drinking and they were having a good time. And Jesus says, uh, it uh, precludes the, the, the hot or cold that I'm, I come and I knock on the door of your heart. And if you open it and let me in, I'd love to sup with you. That is the high priest who is saying, I'm walking around the temple and I'm coming and knocking on the door to the inside. And if you're awake and you open the door, then I'll come in and I'll sup with you around your fire. I would rather that you were hot, that means ministry, doing work on the inside of the church fivefold, or that you were cold. That is ministry outside the temple, on the walls, bringing them in. I wish you were at work, in other words, either inside the church where it's warm or outside the church where it's cold, but since you are at neither and you are just lukewarm, I will spew you out of my mouth. That's what he's saying. To bring that back around to the story of of David and, and, and Goliath, Oh, uh, where was I on that? How did that work? How did that tie in together? This almost never happens. Let's just continue to read. Oh, yes, the cheese and the bread. The way that the, the way that, that works is uh, the war, the bread represents the cold. It represents the warfare. It represents the trenches on the outside. The cheese at the base of it being the choice fat or the anointing represents the ministry on the inside. So there's ministry on the outside, there's ministry on the inside. What does ministry cost you ultimately? It costs you time, right? So God is saying, I'll say it, you are eternally in this same battle, in this same battlefield. I'm glad you've taken the low road of humility and chosen not to point a finger and blame God but you're also not finding your way out. God is saying, A, have you given me the tenth that I've asked for? B, do you understand that I also need a tithe of your time? In other words, if God only sees you on Sunday, or maybe if you're real good at it, God sees you on Sunday and Wednesday. Can we, I'm just, we're going to step on some toes here for a minute. Let's say Monday night you're at the rodeo. Throwing back a few, listening to that good old country music, talking about red dirt roads and women and trucks and the back of the whatever and what is that? I'm thinking of that, I don't even know his name anymore. Alan Jackson River Moonlight thing and bottle cans and Hotter than a thing. So you got all this stuff going on. So you're out partying up throwing back Monday. Tuesday night, man, you're going out to the club. Wednesday night, you got your friends and y'all are doing your thing and y'all are, if Jesus Christ himself, after 30 minutes into your conversation, if you turned around and Jesus was standing there, you'd be so embarrassed. So you've got that going on. You've got the movies that you're watching that maybe you shouldn't be. Maybe maybe you're just watching them by yourself. You've got the computer open at 2 a.m. in the morning. For God knows what reason. You've got all this going on all week long. And you've got all these battles and all this turmoil in your life. You're watching your bank account and you're nervous. You're watching your relationship go down the tube. You're, you're watching your friendships go away. You're, not, you're finding nothing but convolutions in your mind. You can't get any direction. God sees you once in a while on Sundays, once in a while on Wednesday, maybe a few times a month, and you love God and you won't blame him, but you're trying to figure out why you can't get out of this place that you're stuck in. And God's going, I need you to be hot or cold. I need either your bread or your cheese. But if you won't give me either one, when you reach back into that bag, you will not find five smooth stones. You will find nothing, and you will not get out of the battle that you're in because you have not given me anything to work with. I really like the Florida Georgia line. The band... Did I say that right? Yeah, I like them. They've never gotten me through a battle. You might have heard a song on the radio that was inspirational and it might have given you a thought. It didn't solve your problem. Use the old cheesy church line The king of kings can do what the king of beers never could. You can rodeo till you're blue in the face. And I went a couple times, I'm not against the rodeo. You can do whatever else until you're blue in the face. You know what God does? 24-7. Let me show you. This is what God does, 24-7. Anytime you need him, it's right here. Sits on his throne. When you're so wasted you can't see straight, he hasn't moved. When you're praying right afterwards, he sees you. When you're at church on Sunday, expression on his face doesn't change. It's right here, 24-7. He doesn't see you, see him very often, But the moment that you need him, he's right here. Where were you on Sunday? This is where God was right here, waiting, watching, looking. Where were you on Wednesday? That's where God was. Where were you Monday and Tuesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday? He can see your prayer closet from here. He watches you. Maybe you don't need him most of the hours of the day, but he doesn't take a break. He doesn't take any time off. Now put yourself in his position and watch your life and think about your reaction when you turn around and remember him. At your convenience, when you approach his throne and he's still there, imagine how he feels. He's so good, he's so gracious. He's still here, waiting, wondering if one day you're going to get serious. Because he's got a calling on your life, and it's better than drugs. It's better than alcohol. It's even better than the rodeo. But it's hard to explain. But he's right here waiting on you. He's watching you cry. God, why can't I ever seem to get away with it he's right here going right here i mean i got it. let me let me check my ledger bread cheese nope um a little morsel of, that was like crumbs that looks regurgitated i'm not sure this is all i got from you so i'll wrap it up here you go what's gonna do get you through till next sunday so you give me another morsel I'll wrap that one up until I get back to you. I'll try to expand it and get you through next week until I see you. You need that one for two weeks. You're going to have to fast because there's just not enough there. That's where God's at 24 7. Let's move forward in our story. So we kind of understand about this shepherd's bag to a degree. Let's go back to to the top of our portion of Scripture in verse 38 of 1 Samuel 17. Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. He also armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded Saul's sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. Everybody say proved. So David took them off, and he put his little staff in his hand, and he kneeled down, and he grabbed five smooth stones out of the brook, and he put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had even in a scrip, and his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistines. This word, proved, is an interesting word, an interesting concept. When it shows up in the Word of God, this is going to be very applicable, so try to, if you're taking notes, there are five things that you're going to want to write down, and I'll tell you when we get to those five things. David was given a a, a great, if you don't know who Saul is, Saul's the king. Saul's a big guy. He's not a giant like Goliath, but he's a big guy. He was a head and shoulders above the average man, it says. Not only that, but he was king. So he was honored, he was rich. All of the best blacksmiths and all of the best workers in the nation were put to the task of making his armor and uh, firing up his sword and hammering it out, and everything was done custom, and it was as good as it gets. And he gave it to David, and David put it all on, and it probably looked good. It was probably a little bit too big, uh, probably a little bit too heavy, uh, probably didn't fit just right, but I bet it was strong, and I bet it made him feel secure. But he said, you know what, I, I, I can't enter the battle like this because I, ha- I haven't proven these things. I don't know how they work. And there's a good message in there about you entering your battlefield with unproven weaponry, Entering your battlefield with somebody else's revelation, if you will, entering your battlefield with uh, what you were taught, aka religion, versus what you have been, what's been revealed to you, aka relationship. And so you enter the battlefield with somebody else's stuff and you haven't proven that stuff. For some reason, it seems to work for them, but it won't work for you. The reason it won't work for you is because it's not your stuff. And you don't know the stuff. You know about the stuff, but you don't know the stuff. There's a good message in that, but I want to go sort of a different direction. In Genesis twenty-two and one. This word proved is translated a few different ways in your Bible, but I just want to go to the use the rule of first mention. If you're not familiar with that, it's a theological uh, approach where the Bible says, or theologians say, when you want to understand a word in the Bible, the, the true concept of it, to allow the Bible to define itself, you take that word and you find the first couple of places that it was ever used in the Bible, and the definition will be given to you through those. Uh, Whatever's going on in those scriptures, and it's a this is a good word to do that with. Prove the first time it shows up is in Genesis twenty-two and one. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham. Everybody say tempt, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here am I. That word tempt is the same word in Hebrew as the word proved. Most of us are familiar with the story. Real quickly, if you're not. God asked Abraham to take his son, his only son Isaac, and bring him up the mountain and sacrifice him before God, the promise that God had made him. And then when he gets up to the top of the mountain, God stops him and says, "Uh, you you actually don't need to do that. Basically just wanted to see if you would. This is the temptation of, of Abraham where God proved him what manner of man that he was. Exodus chapter 16 verse 4 says, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. Same word there, prove. Whether they will walk in my law or not. Proved. David said, I cannot use this weaponry because I have not proven it. The Bible says that Jesus Christ himself will sit on the throne of David and that that throne will endure for generation to generation and that throne will never be torn down. So the throne of David represents the throne of Jesus. The throne of Jesus is the throne of God. So it's not a far stretch to turn this metaphor, this allegory, into David not representing you, but David representing God in this particular scripture, in this particular case. And God looking at the weaponry that he has to fight the devil... AKA, you guys, he's looking at Bobby, he's looking at Neil, he's looking at Omar, he's looking at Griselda, he's looking at Trent, he's looking at Erica, he's looking at Carol, he's looking at everybody in the room, put yourself, fill in the blank. And the enemy is standing out in the middle in between the armies of the Philistines and the armies of God and he's defying the living God and God wants to raise up ministers. Everybody say, that's me. need a little bit further backstory real quick. How many, when the Bible talks about ministries in the church, how many are there? Anybody know? Five, right? How many stones did David pick up? Whenever Moses was given the blueprints for the tabernacle. The tabernacle is, becomes the temple of God. The temple of God is who? Jesus, but the Bible says, know you not that you are the temple of the Holy Ghost, right? So the temple represents you, which means the tabernacle represents you. The tabernacle was made out of a bunch of pieces of wood. Pay attention, we're going somewhere. We're going somewhere good. Uh, that wood was covered in pure gold and was placed into certain types of slots in a certain position. The point being, the tabernacle itself was made out of a representation of me and you because that wood had no value on its own. It was old, torn down, dead wood. And it had it, there was no way anybody would make anything out of it until it was covered with the precious gold. You, my friend, are a dead piece of wood covered in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when that tabernacle was put together with these individual pieces of wood that were covered with gold, he said specifically, I want you to I want you to feed five bars through those pieces of wood to hold the entire thing together. Everybody say five. There are five bars that hold the tabernacle together. That's me and you in the Old Testament. There are five stones in David's sling, and there's a fivefold ministry, and that all ties together for a reason. He said, I gave you prophets. I gave you preachers, teachers, evangelists, uh, apostles. I gave you fivefold ministry for the edification of the church. Let's tie all this together. God is real, amen? The enemy is real, amen? There is constantly a war going on, amen? Raise your hand if you want to be part of that war. Raise your hand if you've ever decided, you know what, I don't want to be a sideline Christian, I want to be a frontline Christian. Well, let me tell you what God's doing while he's sitting on that throne that we talked about a little bit earlier, the throne of David, the throne of Jesus. The Bible says the eyes of God go to and fro throughout the earth. Everybody say, I want to be a warrior. Okay, so to cut that short, I'm just going to say warrior when I want you to, to realize that. The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the earth. Are you alive this morning? Everybody say warrior. warrior. Everybody say, that's me. that's me. The eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the earth this morning. Everybody say, warrior. warrior. Everybody say, that's me. So the enemy is down in the valley of Elah, and he's defying the armies of the living God, and God is wanting to raise up a ministry, a five-fold ministry, five smooth stones, in order to attack this enemy who thinks his mail and his armor and his spear and his sword are going to protect him. But the eyes of the Lord are going to and fro throughout the earth. And you said, I'm a warrior, that's me, and God is going, I can't use you because I haven't proven you. You might be stepping up to the plate saying, I got the armor, God. I'm ready to wield the sword. And God is saying, that's all good, and it feels good on, and it looks good on, but it's unproven. So I've got to keep looking to and fro throughout the earth. Everybody say warrior. warrior. Everybody say, that's me. that's me. So God is looking. See, so here we have Christians enter into the church, man, and they're, they are charismatic, and they're ready to go, and they're spirit-filled, and they want to attack hell with a water pistol and gasoline britches on, as the saying goes. They're ready to run in and just make it happen, and they're ready to go. And God is saying, you know what, my son, my daughter, you are so on fire, and I so appreciate that, but you haven't been stabbed in the back yet. You haven't been let down yet. Your pastor hasn't screwed up yet. You haven't been through a divorce yet. You haven't lost a child yet. You haven't gone through anything yet. For me to see what you're going to do, Abraham, when you get to the top of that mountain, I need to know you're willing to put the knife to the throat and then I'll stop you, and that will be your proving ground. Until then, you are Saul's armor, and I cannot use you. I'm glad that you're excited, but Saul ain't getting any credit for what's about to happen. So that armor ain't going into battle. You're gonna have to take that off. Well, I'm real excited about Jesus, man, my church is so awesome. We have this going on. We have that going on. We have butterflies in our commercial. We have 17 services on Christmas. We've got Easter eggs painted colors that nobody knew existed. We have children's, We have 18 children's ministries, one for every single age, just one-year-olds, just two-year-olds, just three-year-olds, all the way up to 18. It's like you've never seen before. I'm so excited. Has your church ever preached to you about the blood of Jesus Christ, about the depths and depravity of sin, about the baptism of the Holy Ghost, about there being more. Has your church invited you to the front line or is it always just a country club full of good feelings, uh, fluffy clouds, pink rainbows, and little puppies made out of the smiles of small children? Is that where you go to church because I'm happy for that, but I, I can't take that into battle. Here's the front line you're welcome to step up to the front line, but you got to realize right away, there's a proving ground. David knelt down at that brook. You know how stones get smooth? Years of running water. It's violent to the stone, it's tumultuous. It sits there for a long time. It's a jagged little stone at first. You know, a jagged little stone looks looks dangerous. If I had a smooth stone and a jagged stone to throw right at somebody's face, it was really annoying me. First of all, I wouldn't do it because that's un but in a different universe, if I was going to do that, I would want the big jagged stone because it looks like it's going to hurt. But in reality, there's no better way to throw a stone than with a sling, an old-school sling if you know how to use it. When you're putting that type of velocity and force behind something jagged, you have very little control over where it goes. Left, right, dips, dives, you can't have the control that you have with a smooth stone. Jagged stones like to be tossed at people's faces. So the jagged stone walks into church all jagged and ready to go. God's saying, I, I really love the energy, but... You need to be under the water for a while. The Bible says the water is the word of God. that washes away the filth of the world. So after you've been sitting in the brook for a while, King David, who represents King Jesus, he gets down on one knee and he looks through the clear water and he picks out five, one, two, three, four, five smooth stones. They've been there for a while in that brook. They thought they knew what they were going to do. They thought they knew what they were going to be. They thought they knew what was going to happen to them. And in reality, they just had a lot of time to sit there and allow the water to smooth out their jagged edges. Because God doesn't need the sword. He doesn't need the jagged edge. He doesn't need the spear. He doesn't need a cutting tool in order to win the battle. He just needs a little bit of control. He said, you know what, I'm going to give you the spirit of prophecy. I'm going to give you the spirit of an evangelist. I'm going to give you the spirit of apostleship. I'm going to give you the spirit of teaching. I'm going to give you the spirit of preaching. I'm going to give you all this stuff. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he ends it by saying, around not the very last verse, but towards the end, the spirit of the prophets is subject to the prophets. I need somebody with a little control. I'm giving it to you. Water. Time. And I felt like when we were worshiping this morning that that was the word, but I didn't feel like it was the time to give it. I feel like God is speaking to you this morning. He's sitting right next to the stream. River of life, if you will. And he's saying, step in. Step into the water. Some of us have just Stood out on the bank for a while, studying the water. We know a lot about the water. We figured out we need two molecules of hydrogen and one of oxygen. We've seen the flow. We've studied the rate. We even see the stones. We know when it's high. We know when it's low. We know what happens when it rains. We know what happens when it doesn't. We have somebody on the other side of the bank with Hebrew words and Greek words and alphabets just telling us crazy stuff about the water. And we're like, man, this water's intense. And God, the Holy Spirit this morning, I really feel like he's just saying, hey, listen, step in the water. Step in the water. It's the difference between religion and relationship. Saul said, here, just take my armor. David said, no, it hasn't been proven to me. You can't live for God based off of somebody else's revelation." You have to prove that word. You have to try that word in your own life. Remember it said Abraham was tried, Abraham was tempted, Abraham was tested. When you break that word proven down, that's what it means. It literally means proven by trial. Religion will give you a, just a set of rules to show you how to live for God based off of whatever. The Baptist revelation, the Methodist revelation, the Presbyterian revelation, the Lutheran explanation, whatever the case may be, and it happens in the non-denominational church too, don't feel like it doesn't. The relationship is when you take what you know or what you think you know about a person, about the water, about the word of God, and you try it on. And you try it out. You try it on that person or with that person. What I want you to challenge you to do this morning is to look at yourself in the mirror and figure out do you know more about God or do you spend time with God has it always just been more or less religion and you've never got into the relationship well how do I get into the relationship you take everything that the word of God tells you about and you try it out you apply it to your life I've had Endless amounts of people ask me, "Pastor, how do I know when I'm hearing from the voice of God? Well, what is that voice asking you to do? Is it dangerous? Is it going to hurt anybody? Is it crazy? or is it kind of because I don't want you to take the next step if that's the case? No, it's just telling me to go pray for this person. It, I just feel like something telling me to go say this word. I feel like some, there's only one way to figure it out. The only way I was able to figure it out was eventually I said, "You know what? I'm going to have to just step up and try it out. Well, I stepped up to my pastor and said, I feel like I have this word for somebody. Yada, yada, yada is the word. And he goes, yeah, that's a good word for somebody that you don't know about. I'll share it. And he shares the word. And I'm like, wow. So, I have that. so that, that's kind of what that feels like. That was God speaking. That's cool. The next time it happens, I've f- got to try it out again. Is this, does this make sense? I don't know if this makes any sense to you, but I feel like God's saying, so on and so forth. I don't know, you know, I don't want to freak you out or anything, but I feel like, and 99% of the time, it works out. The 1% of the time that it doesn't, I don't realize either A, uh, I had the wrong person or I had the wrong word, I don't know, or B, it works out later. And those 0.5% that I never saw work out, they might have worked out by now, I don't know. But the point is, A lot of people miss a lot of words, so to speak, and I miss the opportunity to give them in that time period in between when I was trying to figure out, is this God's voice or is it not? Well, religion has told me that God will speak. Relationship shows me that he does. You gotta try it out. Well, I love 1 Corinthians 13. It's taught me so much about love. Worthless. You gotta try it out got to do it man the word of god talks a lot about sanctification all these crazy things that will happen if i just give certain things up and just get alone with god and spend some time in my prayer closet god is so good he's so powerful worthless is a strong word but a very little worth you've got to try it out man that's amazing that the bible says when i give it'll be given back it's good that you know that. You've got to try it out. Religion versus relationship. The five things that you need to write down, and we're coming to a conclusion, the worship team can go ahead and come up. just happens to be that that word proven means proven by trial, and the word trial in the Bible uh, appears six times, but one time it's just talking about general trial. The other five times, everybody say five, there's a specified trial. I want to end with you with these trials, and I hope this helps your life today. The first one's in Job 9.23 if you're taking notes. And it's called the trial of the innocent. That's smooth stone number one. You want to be smoothed out? You want to lose the jagged edges? You've got to go through the trial of the innocent. You've got to be willing to take blame when you didn't do anything wrong. Trial of the innocent. Love those that love you. You haven't done any great thing love those that hate you and you've done a godly thing. You don't deserve the hate, you're innocent. How did you react? 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verse 2. Smooth stone number 2. How then in a great trial of affliction. You'll be afflicted. You've got to get through the trial of affliction. Affliction means wounded in battle. God is real good. It's all fun and games, as they say, until somebody gets shot in the leg, right? So God is real good and real able until the affliction happens. And then we're like, what the heck was that? It's a trial of affliction. Smooth stone number two. Hebrews eleven thirty-six, the trial of mocking. Nothing is worse than making it through a trial of the innocent where you really didn't do anything wrong. Trial of affliction where you got hurt even though you serve an almighty God and then turning around and have somebody mocking. That's when you're just about ready to lose it. You know what? I made it through the trial of the innocent. I don't feel like I need to be that innocent anymore. You want to start mocking me? I got some things for you. It's a tough one. I want to get under your skin. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7. If you made it through all that, you're probably feeling pretty high on life. You're going to enter in the trial of your faith. It says being much more precious than of gold. And it leads into the fifth trial, the final trial, 1 Peter 1.7, but repeated more specifically in 1 Peter 4 and 12. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is the trial. It's trial by fire. once you make it through everything else, hell will literally come against you. Trial by fire. We're gonna end with telling you how to win that one. You ready? We lost some people, it's a long sermon. We literally lost people, a crowd like I couldn't have. So I'm sorry that it's taking a little while, but you get a nugget at the end, are you ready? Everybody ready, everybody still awake? Same thing stretch. Maybe you stretch it out? Good. Everybody ready? Trial by fire. What is, what is it about the trial by fire? How do you, how do you win that one? You've got through everything else and hell itself is literally coming against you. Well, it's an interesting thing because the Bible says your faith is more precious than gold. It's more precious than silver, and that's true. Uh, but it also says um, that we are related to gold and silver. Like in the tabernacle, the wood that's covered by gold, everything's covered by gold. Uh, the light that reflects off of the gold is made out of gold. So, uh, when you're covered by the blood, it's like being covered by gold. And there's actually metals that represent repentance and redemption, silver and bronze. These, two, these metals are also present in the structure of the tabernacle. All of these metals have a, have a property that's not unique to any metal, but is the, it runs the same vein through every metal, every precious metal. And that is the only way to remove the sediment the only way to purify the metal, the only way to increase its value is to melt it and then scrape the dross off the top. All the sediments come up. All the impurities come up and you can scrape them away and you're left with a finer product. So when hell comes against you, the fiery trial, the trial of your faith and then followed by the trial of fire, when all of hell comes against you and the devil knocks you down to your knees you can do the same thing that David said and you can say thank you so much for identifying yourself I wasn't sure what I was fighting there for a second now that I'm down on my knees I guess I'll go ahead and take the time to pray and I'll go ahead and take the time to praise and what's going to happen devil is that every time you knock me down it just gives God an opportunity to send his nail-scarred hand down into my life to pick me back up out of the fire, and I'm more more pure now when I came out the other side than I was before I went in. Amen? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire. They They were told, first of all, that they were doing something wrong because they would not bow. They got thrown into the fire. The fourth man showed up. They exited the fire and didn't even smell like smoke, and they were greater men on the other side than they were before. Now, the one that wanted to kill him is saying, Who is your God? Can he be the God of our nation? Yes. Good news. He already is. You just have to recognize it. You don't have to win the trial by fire, you just have to endure the trial by fire. Everybody say five. Everybody say warrior. Everybody say that's me. Everybody say warrior. Everybody say, that's me. The eyes of the Lord go to and fro throughout the earth. And i got to ask you this morning, and you've got to challenge yourself. Are you Saul's armor, or are you a smooth stone? It's completely up to you. You've got to take this opportunity and step into the river and allow the water of the word of God to work away the jagged edges. Then he can pick you up, and he can use you. Amen? There's more to say, but... Maybe we'll save it for next week's message, Sticks and Stones, part three. So stand up with me this morning. Let me pray for you, and then we'll worship. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word. Father, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, we pray that as we worship that you would just let the Holy Spirit rain down on us this afternoon. We thank you, we praise you, and we love you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I should remember towards the end of that video where he talked about putting a cast around your broken heart and signing it. They were wrong. So I want you to leave with this morning. Whatever the enemy has told you, whatever voice has come against you, Whatever words and negative words and curses have been spoken at you, you can wrap a bandage around that bad boy and sign it. They were wrong. The enemy was wrong. The people that he used were wrong. You are a child of the king, king, a child of the most high. And at the end, that video says (coughs) that it's more about beauty. And remember, God brings beauty from the ashes. So no matter where you've been, no matter what you've gone through, The words that are coming against you are wrong, and you are a beautiful child of the Almighty King. So I'm going to pray for you this morning, and then you're welcome to stay and worship and pray some more. The music will continue, uh, but we will dismiss after this prayer. Uh, Hopefully we see you guys on Wednesday night. If you can't make it on Wednesday, try to make it back here next Sunday morning for part three. Lord Jesus Christ, I want to thank you for this congregation, this group of people. Father, I pray that as we exit your...